0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Hockey Mountain High Podcast, your go-to avalanche podcast, presented by Total Beverage and Thornton and Westminster, as well as Superbook Sports. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. As always, with me, of course, Arif Dean, here to talk all things avalanche. And, boy, is there some stuff to talk about. <laughs> uh, I guess, Arif, how you doing this weekend? How are you, I guess, your finger on the pulse right now. Just give me a blanket statement on the avalanche.
1: The avalanche have no life in them right now and um you know people are saying i'm not gonna press the panic button this is not me pressing the panic button this is me assessing what i've seen the last couple games i know they had that great game against the rangers um but we podcasted after that one so since our last podcast this team lacks a lot of life in the in in the locker room on the ice they just feel like they're not all there
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we know, they're they're missing some key guys. They have
1: they're literally not all there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. They're literally not all there. I mean, they they so far have the exact same start that they have last year and honestly have two upcoming games against the Columbus Blue Jackets, who we know aren't really a, a strong team. And I think for this podcast, instead of sitting here and whining about how the sky is falling and this guy sucks and this thing sucks about the team. Let's approach this with a solutions-driven mindset and and try to bring more solutions to the table than problems here, right? We don't want to be negative. We don't want to be complainers here because we know it's still early. There's still time to make adjustments, and you know that adjustments will be made if things continue this way.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing is, last year, those two games against Columbus that they had on November 3rd and November 6th that were separated with a bunch of days off in between because, as we remember, they were supposed to go to Finland last year. Those were the two games that brought them to 10 games and brought them to 4-5-1 and one because they blew a game at home to the Blue Jackets. I remember Cole Sillinger uh, scored a couple goals in that game uh, as an 18-year-old rookie, and then they went to Columbus three days later and lost there, and they started the year 4-5-1. and one. After the Columbus games, they came back to Denver. They won 7-1, 6-2, 4-2, 7-3, 7-5, 5-2. They put together a pretty damn good winning streak leading up to Thanksgiving, where they scored a ton of goals. So, you know, one positive outlook that you can have is this is what they did last year. They can do it again. Um, but also the other side of that is do you really think they can score seven goals, six goals, et cetera, et cetera, without Berkey, without Kadri without Landeskog? Natchushkin obviously should be back by then, I would assume. Um, but it is very similar to last year, and that's that's kind of the wild part here.
0: Yeah, that's a crazy point that those two Columbus games, I mean, th- they kind of went poorly, but it was after that the Avalanche really turned it on, and, yeah. and th- the season went completely different from there. So um, we're going to wait to hit the panic button yet, but of course things need to be improved because the kind of hockey we're seeing, I mean, you brought up the Rangers win. While it was a big win, yes, it was still overtime, really just a 50-50 shutout, or shootout win, excuse me. Um, so yeah, I think we've yet to see the dominant style. We've seen some bad games here too. I mean, some losses like the Seattle Kraken or even, uh, the last loss to the Islanders because they, they blew a pretty large lead. So, um, I think you're out of room for just, I guess, blow away games. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the games that you can just kind of say, ah, well we, we lost, let's move on. Like you've already had a few of those. It's, it's time McCart- to bunker down.
1: Kale McCarr had a quote and uh, the beauty is by the way, now when I'm not at games and I read quotes, I know it's not just something he said on a press conference. So I have to credit the person that got the quote because he probably had a one-on-one uh, Bennett over at the Denver post. He had a quote uh, with from Kale McCarr that said something along the lines of like, you know, if we're fighting for positioning at the end of the year or we're fighting for a playoff spot in general, we look back to games like this, like this is where we blew it. So not that positioning, Is going to end up mattering. Well, I would assume it doesn't. We'll see. But like, if the Avalanche lose home ice advantage by a point or two, like, we're going to think back to games like that. But the funny thing is, even when you think of the Rangers game, like, look, my, the pulse that I'm getting on the Avalanche right now, obviously they're missing a lot of talent, but they're not all there. There's like, I don't want to say they seem uninterested. But that swagger of a team that just won the Stanley Cup is not there. The only guy bringing it is the same damn guy I've been harping on all goddamn season so far. And it's Val Nachushkin. I know he hasn't played the last two. But everybody else just doesn't seem to have it. Now, the Rangers game, you could argue they had it. Well, in the Rangers game, there was a reason why that team wanted that win. There was a story behind it they were able to wake up for a game on ESPN against the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden for their goalie, for Alexander Georgiev to do it for him. Then a couple nights later in New Jersey, and then the very next night on Long Island against the Islanders, they had no reason to wake up for the game, and they just didn't. They seem like they are uninterested in the games that don't have kind of a big, a big like, there there isn't something that that is, that is keeping them engaged, I guess, is, is kind of the weird vibes that I'm getting because yes, they're missing the Chushkin in the last two. Yes. Landis out of lineup and we know the guys they lost, but this team has a lot of skill. That's not picking up their slack to, to even, you know, be good enough for who they are. Like the, the, the whole is not as good as the sum of their parts right now. And I'm stumbling over my words because you and I have been doing this podcast. This is our fourth season. This is the first time I'm genuinely confused by what the avalanche are.
0: Yeah. I mean, you look back to this time last year and, and we were saying, oh, did they lose too many guys in the offseason? And it, 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 the answer was no. I mean, yeah. you could still speculate. But at the time, the answer was no. Now you're kind of starting to think the opposite, right? Now you're start, starting to think even though they are in the same position as they were last year at this point it's it's just you're not showing much promise you're not seeing much i guess uh from from the guys you need to see that equals the level of compete that you saw during the stanley cup playoffs right i mean i don't know if it's just not even
1: just, just last regular season
0: yeah yeah and i mean of course val being out definitely hurt the last couple games and I, I guess that you can't really say that one player missing is going to create that big of an impact. I mean, maybe two. You know, have the, land, the discussion of Landeskog and Val Nachushkin. I think there's a conversation to be had. But uh, are are these two missing players the root of all their problems right now, or, or is no, there absolutely deeper? Not.
1: Absolutely not. Look, it, it starts with the fact that both of those two guys are gone. It starts with the fact that they don't have a lot of depth. Because look, I know the Avalanche were a great team last year and they won the Western Conference. Uh, regular season-wise, they won the Western Conference, and then obviously in the playoffs, they won the Western Conference and the entire championship. But if last season, that injury that McKinnon had in October or November or whatever it was, I think it was November. If that McKinnon injury was a four to six month injury, as much as it would have sucked, this team would have been fine. They would have made the playoffs. They would have had a lot fewer points than what they ended up with, which I think was 119. They would have probably had 102, 103. Like McKinnon will and can make the difference of six or seven wins in the standings, like 12 to 14 points. But they would have made the playoffs maybe as a two seed, maybe as a three seed, maybe as a first wild card. Who the hell knows? But they would have made the playoffs. They would have gotten McKinnon back. They would have went on this run in the playoffs. They probably would have won the cup the same way, maybe just not having home ice advantage in the same series that they did. Otherwise, now, obviously, there's no way of guaranteeing it and proving that that would have happened. But you get the vibe last year that they were good enough for that. Now, the reason why I use that example is what if McKinnon today gets injured and he's out four to six months? Do you think this team even makes the playoffs?
0: Uh, I, I see them grumbling at that point.
1: Yeah, like they're already crumbling. And I know you have Kale McCarr and all this, but then you have Alex Newhook, JT Comfer and... What else? Maybe Darren Helm. Uh, like, who's playing center for you? Who's your big star? I know this kind of relates back to the nazim Kadri conversation I've been having the last couple of weeks. But there's just one injury, two injuries, three injuries affects this team way more this year than we've seen in years past because of the lack of options there to replace them, and that's kind of the big issue there. So yes, Kadri does, or not? Sorry, Kadri. Uh, losing Nizhushkin, losing Landeskog does matter, and I will say I know Nizhushkin is supposed to be back and practicing in Finland soon, so he should hopefully be back by next Friday for that first game. Um, so yes, missing both of those guys sucks. Missing Darren Helm sucks. That's a good depth piece, and a good depth piece is just as important to the lineup as the start players are. But aside from that, there is still something missing. They are still not playing as good as the guys that they have in the lineup even though the bottom of their lineup looks just embarrassing, like Dryden Hunt and Martin Cout and all these guys, Jacob McDonald, Curtis McDermott, the guys coming in and out of the lineup playing five, six minutes a night, that says to me the coach is saying, bring me someone because I don't fucking trust these guys. He's not had to deal with that in years past. Your fourth line was still playing minutes last year, and when your fourth line wasn't playing a lot of minutes, it's because maybe you were down by a goal or two, and you wanted to double shift McKinnon. But right now, Jared Bednar is unwillingly, or sorry, willingly not playing two or three guys every single night because he doesn't want to because they're not useful for him. That's the big issue.
0: I think you look back to the trade deadline, and we were all kind of taken back by how aggressive the avalanche were right they got a a handful of pieces that we didn't realize they were that far away from having a complete team well now you know they lose another handful of pieces during the offseason and it kind of takes them back to not quite being a complete team so yeah yeah moves are gonna have to be made you know we i don't know if the trade deadline is is something you can wait till um but yeah, I, I think now they're back to being in that boat of not having a complete team and having to make some more moves than I think we realize are necessary.
1: Yeah, I mean, like Andrew Cogliano. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, when they acquired him, like I thought it would be the opposite. I thought Nico Sturm would be the everyday regular part of the lineup. And Andrew Cogliano's that in and out healthy scratch. You use him in a pinch kind of guy and ended up being the opposite. By the way, side note, and this is not something that I'm going to bash the avalanche on not signing him, but. Nico Sturm in San Jose in 11 games has five goals. <laughs> he, <laughs> he didn't score a goal with the avalanche last year, not in the regular season, not in the playoffs. The dude's got five goals in 11 games. He's scoring big goals at big moments. I think he has an empty netter in there somewhere, but he's scoring some pretty important goals for that team. It's really fascinating. He's got a 27% shot percentage right now, and we know that's not going to last. But yeah, so like they brought in guys like him, obviously Lacken in to round out the top six. Um, Lekanen, again, like we've said it before, but that was such a smart move because they knew Berkey wasn't going to be long-term part of the top six. And they found a guy that was making less money than Berkey and even ended up re-signing for less money than what Berkey makes and uh, being a better fit. Like, let's be honest, as much as I love Burakovsky and he's a 62-point player last year and the Avalanche miss him. Like the guy had a tendency to score the big goals. Um, But not having Berkey and having Lekanen very smart move having Josh Manson in there because you kind of saw that Eric Johnson isn't the same Eric Johnson of two years ago, uh, coming out of that injury in 2021, his, the miles have caught up to him. So you realize you need to bring him down to the third pair and bring in somebody who can play an EJ role. And that's Josh. And he does a great job at it. So great job there. Uh, Cogliano obviously earned his new contract. Great job there, but What I'm getting at is like when you have a team that wins the Stanley Cup, look at the Tampa Bay versus the Avalanche Stanley Cup final. It was 12 forwards, six defensemen on each side, no passengers. Like there was never a game where it was 11 important forwards and then one guy that who kind of cares what he does. Like the Avalanche's fourth line was O'Connor, Helm and Cagliano. And when there was an injury and when Kadri was out, guys like Obey Kubel or Nico Sturm, you know, jumped into the lineup. And they still, every single person on that ice mattered. When you look at this Avalanche team right now, even with Landis Goggin and Nichushkin, how many spots do you look at where you say this player is irrelevant and doesn't matter? Because in my head, a fully healthy Avalanche, there's two of those. And that's the part that they got to figure out here along the way. Like, I don't know if they can wait till the trade deadline. Like you said, like they got to start making these moves now and bringing in some guys to kind of inject that life. But you also need to make sure that the message is clear to the players already on the team. Like you guys got to pick up some slack as well, because we're not going to sit here and say you guys are playing great and we're missing some some depth. People on this team are not pulling their weight right now.
0: It's interesting to me because, you know, the names that we're naming and, and the guys that got the avalanche to the cup are hardworking guys. And Jared Bednar's MO, his entire coaching philosophy is based off hard work. And for some reason, it just doesn't seem like uh, they can reach the level that everybody knows they're capable of. And and that's yeah. what's really the head scratcher. And you look at missing Val Nichushkin and Gabe Landeskog. I mean, they're very similar style hockey players, right? And maybe that's what's really hurting you is you don't have that workhorse. I mean, you have Lekanen. But, you know, as you've said every single podcast since Jared Bednar <laughs> said that he's a mini Val, he's not yeah, necessarily he's not Val. The Val he, yeah. He's not the Val. So maybe just simply not having that workhorse guy at the t- in the top six is really kind of what's hurting you because you do have workhorse guys in the bottom six, but they are not adequate enough to come play top six minutes.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Like when you look at the bottom of the lineup, I don't even remember how many games Lucas Sedlak played because he kind of was in and out of the lineup so quick, but like, did you know Dryden Hunt has played five games? Did you know, before you answer that, Mikhail Maltsev has played three games. Curtis McDermott has played five games. Uh, Jacob McDonald, I don't even remember how much he's played, but he's played quite a few as well. Like these are guys that you should not, First of all, you shouldn't have to have be playing these guys this many times in the first nine. Second of all, I don't remember Mikhail Moov playing three games. I know they're the recent ones, but I don't remember Dryden Hunt playing five. I obviously know they played. I'm not saying I'm not paying attention, but like, in terms of their on ice effectiveness, when the hell did these guys play this many games?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And you know, you you look at those workhorse guys, right? Maybe jt. Comfort, Logan O'Connor, the guys you, Picture are the grinders and, and the hard workers of those guys. No, no real goals to speak There's of. I mean, Logan O'Connor has one JT conference still goalless on the year. So, um yeah,
1: the issues that I'm finding with this team, look, starting from the top, you have your guys that are going to pitch it like McKinnon's got 12 points in nine games. He's got three goals. Brandon's got 11 points in nine games, obviously four goals. Kel McCart, eight assists in nine games, zero goals, but obviously as soon as he gets going, he gets going. It's the same thing that happened last year. Lekkinen, six points in nine games. Bowen Byram as a defenseman, five points in nine games. Hey, Evan Rodriguez, we talked a lot of shit about him first few episodes of the season. Four goals in nine games. He's starting to pick it up. Devon Tames, four assists in, in seven games. You want to see him start to score. But then after that, and obviously at the very top, Valentushkin, I for some reason missed him. Seven goals and 12 points in seven games. What a beast. But then after that, it's a whole lot of nothing in terms of offensive production. Samuel Gerrard, one goal, two assists. He's only got 14 shots and he's a minus three. I don't know what happened to Sam Gerrard of two years ago, man, but I'm not seeing it from him right now. Josh Manson, goal assist, nine points. He's, he's not a guy that's going to give you a lot of offense anyway, so who cares? Logan O'Connor, one and one. EJ 0-2, Newhook 1-0, and, and it was a garbage time goal in the very last game where the Avalanche let in an empty netter and the Newhook finally decided to get his first point of the season. 13 shots in nine games for the second-line center. And I use air quotes with that. And Alex Newhook, JT Comfer, one assist, and then you got zeros the rest of the way with McDermott, Hunt, Maltev, Sedlak, etc. So... Like, how quickly did this team's depth just dissipate? And I know we just said at the very beginning of the episode, we're going to try to keep this positive. But, like, (laughs) we have to bring out the points that are not working right now. And it's, number one, yes, they're missing pieces. But, number two, the guys in the lineup are not picking up their slack. There are a ton of guys in that lineup that if you gave them truth serum, put them on a microphone, and told them to tell the truth, they would say, we suck right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I can't put it any better. That's that's exactly what's going let's switch,
1: on. Let's switch it to positive because I know that people are going to be like, what the fuck, man? You said you were going to make it positive, and I'm sitting here punching my steering wheel on the way to work because these guys <laughs> are just like riling me up.
0: All right. Well, let's take a quick break then. Everybody take a deep breath, and remember, I am. I'm trying. Remember about your buddies over at Superbook Sports. You know they've got your back because nobody's more excited than them about football this season. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they will match 100% of your first bet. Up to $1,000. That should make you feel a little bit better. No matter if that bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall or at the arena to enjoy hockey. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Let's get into some solutions. All right, we got that off our chest. We're feeling better. Let's look more towards a positive light and start manifesting some stuff, right? We'll get into um, the Finland matchups and, and Columbus in a little bit. But for now, let's focus on what the Avs got to do and just, you know, look look at the avalanche in the mirror, I guess, is a good way of putting it, right? Let's just focus on the avalanche and the avalanche only. So, that being said, line combinations there. What do the avalanche have to do line combination-wise that can perhaps be an improvement on what they've done so far this year because honestly Jared Bednar hasn't been too experimental with the lines.
1: He hasn't been experimental in the sense of things that could work long term. He has shaken up the lineups over and over again like comfort playing with Nichushkin playing with uh, Martin Kau, playing with like There are lines where it's like, we're not playing well. I'm going to shake up the lines, but they're by no means lines where in 10 games, you're going to be like, wow, second line center, JT conference, second line winger, Martin Kout." Like that's not going to happen.
0: Right. And it seems that every game you get the, is a different,
1: it's a different jumble. Yeah. And I don't blame them, but like kind of the route that I would take is put your lines in a combination that you could see actually not just working, uh, you know, Cause a lot of the line shifts basically have been to wake up the guys to basically say like, we're going to bring this guy up, bring this guy down to kind of wake up the team. But think of line combinations that could work long-term and by long-term, I mean, five, 10, 15 games um, that are experimental, but again, experimental in a long-term sense. So here's an idea. Look, I'm going to go right back to the episode we had a week ago with Peter ball where I kind of harped on this. I feel a lot more better about it now, given how Evan Rodriguez's past week has gone, but take McKinnon and Rantanen and stick Evan Rodriguez on the other wing. Take Lekinen and Nichushkin, stick them with Alex Newhook and tell that kid, you were the 16th overall draft pick for a reason. You were this highly touted prospect for a reason. You're this guy that I've heard Jeff Merrick for the last five years speak volumes of praise for because you're just such a good player Here's Val Nichushkin. Here's Arturi Lekanen. It's time to make you a good player and keep them together. Let Logan O'Connor, Cagliano, and JT Comfort be your third line. And then from there, it's where it gets... Hell, scratch that. Let JT Comfort, Logan O'Connor, and Ben Myers. Call him up, put him on the third line, and tell that kid that you got to figure it out because this kid has the skill. It kind of reminds me. I know we've made this comparison before of when Alex Newhook started last year with the AHL, when we all expected him to be in NHL on opening night and he wasn't. And then the avalanche called him up 10 games into the season and he never looked back. Get Ben Myers up here. Stick him on a line with JT comfort. Cause playing Ben Myers six minutes a night with Curtis McDermott, like before and Lucas Sedlak ain't going to do nothing for you. Stick him on the third line with JT comfort and Logan O'Connor. And then on the fourth line, plug in the rest. Anton Bleed, if you want to call him up, if you want to play Andrew Cogliano with Martin Cowder, Mikhail Maltzov, the fourth line's irrelevant at this point because until Landis and helm come back, they're kind of missing some guys there. But that's what I would do. I would call up Ben Myers, sticking with JT Confer and Logan O'Connor. I would have Alex Newhook playing between Nichushkin and Lekinen because what better way to energize this young kid Than to have Val Nichushkin to be the guy that you're passing the puck and dishing him out to, and Archery Lekin to be the guy that's, you know, fighting in the quarters for the puck to get it to you so you can be the playmaker that you are. And then have Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon with Evan Rodriguez. That's what I would do until Landis Gogg's back.
0: Uh, I remember watching the New York Islanders game and Evan Rodriguez, he got the puck and had a clear lane to the net, whether he wanted to shoot it or skate it, it was there. Instead, he tried to go cross ice. I think it was Tamiko or Antonin and, and the pass ended up getting broken up. And even uh, Mark Mosher on the, on the broadcast was like, uh, he had an opportunity there, you know, kind of Mosher talking shit without talking yeah, shit, right. Yeah. Still toe the company line. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that's what I like about Evan Rodriguez. I know I didn't like that play in particular, but his constant desire to look for teammates and, and, and set his teammates up, I think would be such a good mixture to have with, Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon, right? Now you kind of have to look at the defensive side of the puck and see how those three work together on that end. But you know what? Um... They can.
1: I, I know that was the big thing with Peter boss started to cut you off. And I know that was a big thing with Peter Baas. And I agreed with him and I still do. But those are three highly skilled, great players playing in a good system. You got to fucking figure it out. Like those are not guys that are lazy. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantan, and Evan Rodriguez can figure out the defense without a Natushka or Landis Kogger or
0: and we say it all the time. Jared Bednar loves to reward guys for playing well. You brought it up. Evan Rodriguez seems to be hitting a little bit of a stride. I mean, it's not quite to the level I think we wanted from from him out of the gate, but definitely an improvement and, you know, something to build off of, whereas Alex Newhook isn't really showing you much. So I, I like the adjustment that you're that you're going with. Um if that doesn't work, I think you you have to find a way to split up Nathan McKinnon and Mikko Ranton
1: and spread no. the talent. Yes, that's a good point.
0: As much as I don't like thinking about that, and I, I like how they play together, I mean, you have to spread the talent up and down the lineup because you're so top-heavy right now.
1: Yeah, Evan Rodriguez, four goals in his last five games on five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten shots in the last five games. Four of them have gone in. But, yeah, I do agree with that. If you have to... You know, resort to switching McKinnon and or flip it or separating, sorry, McKinnon and Ranton, and that would be the next step. Um, I think the other important thing of the line combinations that I'm talking about is trying to develop a third line and Cagliano. Trying to develop a bottom six, let me say, because when you have Cogliano, Comfort, and O'Connor all on the third line, your fourth line is the whatever three guys are healthy that day, let's play them five minutes a night. <laughs> Dryden Hunt, Curtis McDermott, Jacob McDonald, Anton Bleed, Mikhail Moldsev, Lucas Sedlak, who's not on the team anymore, obviously. Like None of those guys mean anything. First of all, and I know you and I haven't been in the locker room for quite a while because the Avalanche have been in New Jersey, and now they're on their way to Finland, I believe. Um what the hell's going on with Darren Helm? That's a very important question because that's going to help solidify a fourth line presence. But if you can get Darren Helm on the fourth line and you can take Andrew Cogliano and stick him on the fourth line and put him with, let's say, Dryden Hunt, for an example, now you have a good fourth line. So how do you develop the third line with JT Comfer and Logan O'Connor, who've had a little bit of a slow start to the season? You got to get this kid, Ben Myers, up And ready to go. You got to be the player that everybody expected you to be, which is the direct replacement in the lineup, not with point production. Don't come at me for saying they're the same in the lineup. The direct replacement for the guy whose numbers was the same as yours, but flipped in 95 and Andre Burakovsky. 59's got to get in the lineup and he's got to start producing. If 59 starts producing and 18 starts producing in that second line center role between Lekanen and Nachushkin with my made-up line combinations, suddenly you have a very solid first line of Rodriguez with Miko and Mac. You have a solid second line of Lekanen, Nachushkin, and Newhook starting to pick up the slack. Your third line of Logan O'Connor, JT Confer, and Ben Myers now is a solid line. And your fourth line is real players. Dryden Hunt playing with a couple of veterans. Hopefully he gets healthy. and Darren Helm and Andrew Cogliano. Now you can roll your four lines. Jared just hasn't had the ability to roll his four lines.
0: Yeah, you need a pinch of skill. I'm with you on that third line breakdown. I mean, J.T. Conference, and Logan O'Connor, very similar players, right? You throw Andrew Cogliano in there, not much different of a player. So if you guys, if you have three guys that have a similar mindset, similar styles, all on the same line, uh, of course it's not going to work. You need a little touch of skill in there, a little bit of talent, and that's the best way to do it is get a young guy. An emerging AHLer, you know, slash NHLer, just like Ben Myers, who has that scoring ability, has that talent, doesn't necessarily rely on an effort, work hard, muck it up in front of the net game. Um, yeah, no, I like your analysis. I think you're spot on.
1: So yeah, that's kind of the the thing with me is like, look, Jared loves to roll his lines. He loves to have options, and he just doesn't have them right now. And like, even when the Avalanche preseason of Berkey, Kadri, Donskoy, and Nichushkin in 2018-19. Like, Nieto, Calvert, Soderbergh, like, they were still reasonably good NHL players that he could rely on. Um, As much as, you know, Kerfoot, Tyson Jones, like, those were guys you can rely on. Now what he has in the bottom six is a whole lot of, like, first of all, Wake Up, JT Comfort, and Logan O'Connor. Those are legitimate NHLers. Andrew Cagliano should be on the fourth line. He's on the third line, so he's not doing anything, you know, Bad by any means, but like he's got too much unreliability there, and that's with the fact that he's still trying to figure out the second line center spot. So JT's been up and down the lineup, and you know, Martin Cow I haven't mentioned his name in a while now. Like he's playing second line sometimes, like it just seems like a mess. Like every day when you get that email with the line combinations as the pucks being dropped, I look at it and I'm like, this this isn't a team that's going to contend. The line combinations, the way that the team is built right now, obviously Val coming back will help. Helm coming back will help. And Landeskog, God, that's going to be life-saving almost. But the combinations have to work or have to make sense. And right now they just don't. And mind you, by the way, that's not a Jared problem. That's the player's problem. Like Ben Myers isn't here because of Ben Myers. Newhook is up and down the lineup because of Newhook. Those guys on the fourth line aren't playing because they're just not giving him a reason to play. So I'm not blaming Jared, but I think it's time for Jared to kind of try something different.
0: Yep. I feel you. I feel you. So let's look at the next, I guess, item that we can improve upon (laughs) what's
1: next on the shit list
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that's exactly it right we're going with special teams next and the power play i mean it's the the one thing about this team that we have no complaints about right i mean they've been fun to watch and and have been producing pretty much every single game and i have zero complaints about what's going on on the power play but the penalty kill Mm -hmm. is definitely somewhere that needs improvement and you know could really be pivotal for this team
1: so, look, there's been a lot of talk all season, and understandably so, about the Avalanche's defense being just stacked. Kale McCard, Devon Taves, Bowen Byram, Josh Manson, Eric Johnson, and uh, Samuel Gerard. So, Devontae's has missed a couple games. I believe everybody else has played all nine games, unless I'm missing something. Um, yep, no, I'm right. Everybody's played all nine games except for Devontae's, who's played seven. Now, Here's the thing about the Avalanche's defense. First of all, they're giving up a ton of shots. They don't look good defensively, and it kind of you know, will draw into the PK. I'm going to get there, I promise. But the Avalanche's biggest issue right now is it goes back to what I was saying about not having reliable options to play, but Jared preaches team defense. When he says we're not checking hard, we're not playing good defensively, he's not talking about the guys listed with a D under position. He's talking about the five guys on the ice as a whole. So the six defensemen are kind of being hung out to dry by the fact that they're not playing good team defense as a five-man unit. It's leading to a lot of penalties, which the Avalanche have taken a ton of. It's leading to a lot of shots against. And then most importantly, it's leading to a lot of shorthanded goals, which is a whole nother issue. But what's leading to the Avalanche being shorthanded in the first place is the fact that their team defense just isn't cutting it. And it starts with the six guys that are on defense, but it's also the five-man unit, the three forwards and the 2D on the ice at the same time. It's just not gelling. The team as a whole is not playing Jared's system the way it should be. It's leading to a lot of penalties, which obviously is then not getting killed and leading to a lot of penalty kill goals, power play goals against.
0: Uh is it still a personnel issue? I mean, you've talked about Darren Helm being out. I mean, I know he he's a big penalty killer. I don't think he's exactly a a game breaker, but it, it feels like uh there's just still not the uh the, the players that they need in the penalty kill right now.
1: Yeah, I mean there is there is a little bit of the personnel thing there too, but you know, there there was a little bit of bad luck there. Like Jared Bedner has been very open when his team has been bad. And he was very open at the beginning of the season. Like, especially against the Calgary game. I remember they would like kill off a minute 45 and then the puck would rim on the boards and you know, Calgary would score a power play goal with like 10 seconds left in the power play or whatever. Like there was a lot of bad luck early. Um, but bad luck as an excuse only gets you so far. Uh, I honestly can't see off the top of my head what it is that's leading to the avalanche, just giving up so many power play goals. Um, the personnel's there. Like, it really is. Other than Darren Helm, like, Landis Landeskog sometimes kills penalty. I know Kadri was killing penalties. But you still got Cagliano and O'Connor and JT Comfer and Devon Taves and Kale McCarr and Josh Manson and Eric Johnson. But, like, you just can't give the other team so many power play opportunities. Is kind of my whole thing. And when you look around the NHL right now, the Avalanche are in seventh place in terms of power play opportunities against. They've been shorthanded 33 times, and three other teams above them have played more games than them. So they're really in the top five in terms of how many times they've been shorthanded per game. They're in the top five, uh, and that that's a big problem.
0: Yeah, I guess the only way you can really address an issue like this is just do your best to be a little bit more disciplined try to get less calls against you and just let the numbers work themselves out right i mean with power plays and penalty kills it's always something we like to overanalyze and say oh what's going on where you know 10 more games from now maybe it evens out a little bit and you find themselves they find themselves in the middle of the league so um yeah i think just go back to uh just keeping it simple and uh try to not get as many penalties simply put
1: Yeah, of course. And I think something that you can say is a personnel issue is the Avalanche have played nine games and they've only had 28 power play opportunities. So my favorite stat, and this is something that uh, Peter McNabb always harps on, is, and, and this is one of my favorite things that Peter McNabb has said for many, many years, is I don't care what your power play percentage is, I care how many power play goals you score and how many times you're on the power play, because if you're on the power play enough, or a lot of times, even if you're not scoring a lot, you're keeping the other team from scoring. Cause what does a team give up five, six, seven shorthanded goals a season, maybe 10, like that's one every eight games. If it's 10, one, every 12 games. So the more time you're on the power play, even if you're not scoring, the other team's not scoring. And secondly, Power play percentage only gets you so far because percentage doesn't win you games. Actual goals do. So Peter would always say like, I'd much rather be a team that went two for 10 on the power play, which is 20%, than one for four, which is 25%. Even though that one for four had a better percentage, I had two goals and you had one. I drew 10 penalties and you only drew four. Now the avalanche kind of have two sides of that right now. They are leading the league in total power play goals with 11, tied with the Edmonton Oilers, but they've been on the power play five fewer times than the Oilers, and they've been on the power play a total of 28 times, which is 24th in the NHL. So remember this team that's so good and such a hard worker that they draw so many penalties. By the way, they're missing the guy that's been there that was always their best at drawing penalties, in Nazem Kadri. That team just isn't drawing penalties right now. That's a problem.
0: Yeah, I get it. I mean, the power play point that Peter McNabb makes for sure, it it makes sense, right? When you have the puck and the other team's chasing you around and you're making them have to work hard and they get tired and they get lazy and they make mistakes, then then that's the sign that you've been dominating the game and you're getting a lot of penalties. So I I like it. And yeah, I mean, the fact that they are getting out-penaltied, right? It's huge. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, no, no. Yeah. They're, 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 they're taking a lot more penalties than, uh, than they're, uh, uh, than they're getting from the other team. than they're drawing and like goes back to the thing. Look, they have 11 power. Like, again, they have 11 power play goals and most in the NHL. Like that's crazy for a team that's barely on the power play, but they're 11 for 28 on the power play. The Oilers are 11 for 33. As silly as this sounds, I would much rather be the Oilers who are 11 for 33 at 33% on the power play than the Avalanche who are 11 for 28 at a much higher uh, power play rate, 39%. And the reason why that is, is because those extra five power play opportunities the Oilers had that they probably didn't score on is around eight to 10 minutes more of time that the other team had to kill a penalty against them. If the Avalanche had five more power plays over the last nine games, eight to 10 more minutes of time of of uh, being on the PP and the other team being on the defensive on their heels. Maybe that's the difference in the one, nothing lost to New Jersey. Maybe that's the difference of a one goal loss to Seattle and Winnipeg and ball arena. Maybe that's the difference of the Islanders coming back in the game. There's a lot of things that could have happened in those eight to 10 minutes that could have kept the puck out of your net. Even if you weren't scoring on the PP and chances are you give the avalanche five more opportunities. They're going to score more than, you know, more than zero on those five chances. So They got to draw penalties when they get the penalties continue to score at the rate you're scoring. But even if you don't, don't give up shorthanded goals and it's going to help you anyway.
0: An unorthodox way of looking at it, but makes complete sense to me. Um, So that brings us to the defensive end of the puck, right? We know that the top line can score goals. We've been through the, the forward lines and their combinations on how to maybe score more goals. The defense scores goals, but how are the abs doing on the defensive side of the puck? How do they improve on the defensive side
1: this guy, this is going to go back to personnel and i hate to keep bringing it back to this what makes the avalanches defense so good is their ability to get the puck from their zone to the other zone and the way that they do that is they skate the puck up the ice and then they find a guy to pass it to and they pass it to that guy well right now when the Avalanche lead the breakout, these defensemen lead the breakout, they don't always have an option of someone to get the puck to. How many times have we seen Kel McCart try to do a Bobby Orr-esque type of end-to-end move, sometimes on the power play? Like, "Ah, I'm frustrated with this this unit. Let me just kind of do it myself. But, like, there seems to be a lot of that. Josh Manson, we're seeing this guy go out and try to be very offensive. How many times have we seen that? I see you nodding your head. Like, Josh has kind of taken matters into his own hands on a number of times. Is that because the forwards are not setting up properly. They're not getting open. Or is that because, um, and I don't want to list any of those guys in the bottom six specifically because I don't want to insult them, but like I would rather skate this up myself and try to get a shot than pass it to person X. Uh Is that let's use Lucas Sedlak as an example, because he's not on the team anymore, but like I would much rather try to do this myself than pass it to Lucas Sedlak, insert any other name there. Is that the issue or is it that, Everybody, you know, when things start to reel, everybody tries a little bit harder and everybody wants to be the hero and everybody, you know, you get away from that very cliche thing that hockey players say of, eh, let's get back to the basics. We got back to the basics and we won the game. Maybe this team needs to just get back to the basics and do what you know you need to do to be successful. Um, but that's kind of what I'm seeing right now from the blue line.
0: Another interesting perspective out of you um, kind of goes in line with what I was thinking I don't think it's egregious from the defensive group just yet, but I think there's a lot of confidence within themselves, right? And you see, yeah, Kale, that's, McCarr, that's the point. You see Kale McCarr do that extra offensive move at the blue line because he knows he can, but sometimes he doesn't necessarily get away with it. You see Josh Manson say, oh, well, we're one of the best scoring defensive units in the NHL. Let me make my offensive happen. And again, I'm not saying that it's to a point where I'm annoyed with it or yeah. this is a problem. But you got to be careful with that confidence, and got to be careful with wanting to do too much on your own. Because once the defense loses the puck, typically there's not many people behind to uh, to save the goalie and bail them out.
1: Yeah, no, that's a very solid point, and and you know that goes to. That goes back to the point of like this team is so strong on the blue line and they know they are that good on the blue line. And then on the other hand, they also know that right now the Avalanche are struggling offensively and have some issues with depth where they're like, yeah, maybe we can just do it ourselves. So that is a very reasonable point.
0: Thank you. Look at this positivity flow.
1: (laughs) We're going, we're going. It's We're about half an hour away from when I was losing my mind earlier. But um, hey, the Avalanche, this is another thing to kind of something that I've been harping on is 33 shots against per game. That's 11th most in the NHL. And um, just looking at some of these teams ahead of them, Detroit Red Wings, Chicago Blackhawks, Columbus Blue Jackets, Ottawa, Buffalo, Philadelphia, Arizona, Anaheim. That is uh, eight of the 10 teams ahead of them. Funny enough, another two teams that are ahead of them are the Edmonton Oilers and the Pittsburgh Penguins have both given up more shots than the avalanche. Uh, but other than those two, the other eight teams are all teams that are fighting for a playoff spot, probably not going to be in the playoffs. And then it's a team that just won the Stanley Cup in the avalanche. And they're sandwiched with the Islanders and Canucks there as well. So they're giving up a lot of shots. Goes back to the team defense thing. They're also ov- they've also only put up 31.2 shots per game, which seems like a high number, but that's 16th in the NHL for a Colorado Avalanche team that we've known the last few years has been one of the better shots on goal teams. They're just not generating a lot of opportunity. So again, it goes back to kind of like, there are bits and pieces of things that are wrong, but as a whole, they're not doing what they need to do to win. There's some teams that you're watching that are four, four, and one, five, and four, four and five even, and you're like, the puck's just not bouncing their way. They're doing the right things, which if you remember about a year ago, That's kind of what we were saying. Let's not you know, press the panic button. This is the avalanche. The guys that need to score are scoring. The guys that need to defend are defending. Let's give Darcy Kemper some time to catch up. And then they did, and they were fine. But right now, they're losing games, and you're not confident with the underlying numbers, and you're not confident with what you're seeing with the eye test. And that's kind of, again, it's like it's a bunch of little things that need fixing, and we're kind of trying to figure that out right now.
0: Well, along the lines of giving up, more shots than the opponent, right? You've had to rely a little bit on the goaltenders, and sometimes some nights they're coming through, sometimes they're not. So let's get into the goaltending. What can be done on the goaltending side of the puck, maybe even more namely Pavel Fransu's, to take that next step forward to keep improving and get the avalanche out of this rut?
1: This is a tough one, man. This is such a tough one. The Seattle game, he was having a strong game until that goal from Carson Kuhlman, which... I know he was going up against Curtis McDavid, but Curtis McDavid, Jesus, Curtis McDermott, but it's Carson Coleman. Like that goal, that was a, you know, like that's not a terrible one-on-one to have, but the fact that Carson was able to kind of just beat Pavel Francis on the backhand from that angle, that's a tough goal to give up. Against the New Jersey Devils, he rebounds and surrenders a grand total of one freaking goal in the third period on 23 shots and the Avalanche get blanked. They can normally you'll single... take it. Normally you'll take it. Couldn't get a single shot. And then there was a Calgary game where I'm always going to be willing to give the Avalanche and their goalie in that game a freebie because we've spoken about it many, many times. That game was going to be a loss no matter what pretty much. Um and I know that's a very weird thing to say like they could have easily won that game but they deserve a freebie for that one. Um other than the Carson Coleman goal, he's been fine the last two games. And I think the biggest issue is he's not getting the support that Georgie has been getting. Like the Avalanche have played better in front of Georgie and I say that knowing very well that against the Islanders and against the Rangers the last two games that Georgie have started the Avalanche have given up a shitload of shots, but at least they've gotten some opportunities in there too, namely against the Rangers, not so much against the Islanders.
0: So, in reality, you're saying it's really only been one bad game. You have the uh, the pass against one bad Category. game,
1: one bad game, and a bad goal against Carson Coleman.
0: Right. So, um, the more games that he gets, he, that should even out. So, I guess yeah. the goaltending solution is just simply keep going keep the confidence and don't change a thing because we know he's capable of of manning that net. And we've already seen Alexander Gure given what he can do. So I think the goaltending is still in an okay position. Let's just give it a little bit of time to uh, get in the flow.
1: I don't hate what those two guys have done this season. Georgie yesterday against the Islanders was kind of, he was dude, he was getting peppered, man. The guy had, the guy had no help. He was being so hung out to dry. And I know that's a very easy thing to say, but like, had he won that game, given the way he won the Rangers game and how many shots he faced in that one too. And I know it was a shootout. It's a coin flip. I know, but like he surrendered two goals to the Rangers. He didn't let in that late power play goal in overtime, given the way that those last two games went. If the avalanche came away with, let's say a three to two victory yesterday, because it was three to two at one point against the Islanders. I would look at Georgie and be like, he just stole two games in a row, but we're not doing that. He tried, he tried, he tried until he broke. And the dam broke and the, you know, the Islanders kept scoring. So you kind of, it was three, nothing, you blink twice. It's five, three, like it was that quick. Um, So I don't hate what they're doing. Uh, I just think the rest of the team needs to catch up to them. And then let's see if they can up their notch a little bit with the rest of the team too. Because if your goaltending gets a little bit better as your forwards and your defense figure out what's ailing them. Well, now you're being back to being the avalanche, the team that won the cup four months ago in Tampa Bay.
0: And losing these close games, losing these one-goal games, that's going to even out, too, and the ball's going to bounce in the Avalanche's direction a few times, and there's going to be some win streaks and ups and downs, and that's just a season. It's just a, a bit of a down. But if you look back to the offseason, we saw this coming. This isn't a surprise. We expected a slow start out of the Avalanche, just about how they react and how they um, bounce back from all of this because I expect them to, and I'm sure they expect themselves to. So it's just it's just about – matter of time i guess
1: they got to figure this out man and and if things continue this way until american thanksgiving uh which is a funny saying that is only said on a hockey podcast where canadian thanksgiving is a thing uh but if if this continues to be a thing through thanksgiving that's when you don't necessarily push any panic buttons like if the avalanche are 500 at thanksgiving it sucks i know but like First of all, if they lose six straight in regulation here, they'll be four, ten, and one. Yeah, you press the panic button. But if they're at or around 500 in three weeks from now, um, you don't press the panic button. But the GM and Chris McFarland and the president, Joe Sackick, time to make a move. That's when you have to go out. And those big deals, I'm not saying go out and you know bring in a Dryden hunt off of waivers. I'm saying, like, you got to make a trade. You got to do something to shake up this team, shake up this lineup, and really get things going. But we're not there yet. It's October 30th. It's not November 20-something. Right now, on October 30th, this team has issues. It's not time to press the panic button, but you got to be upfront with these issues, and that's what we're trying to do here.
0: Yeah, and fortunately, the rest of the Central Division isn't necessarily a powerhouse at the moment. So, um, you know, you've got some time and and games to play against those uh, divisional opponents that are going to really help.
1: Yeah, of course. And, and you know, those are the ones that you got to win. And I kind of just want to get this Finland thing over and done with. Uh, it's been, like, lingering over this team for four freaking seasons now. Uh, was it four or three? Three seasons, sorry. It was supposed to be in 21, and then it ended up kind of being in the 22 season, and now it's really in the 23 season. So get it over with. Go to Europe. Have your five days off right now, have have your back-to-back, have your days off after that, and then it's full steam ahead. But also, hey, it would be nice if you win one or two of those games in Europe as well.
0: Yeah. As much as you like to think it's business only, it's not a distraction there there to, to win some games. It's a distraction, right? Yeah. Let's call it what it it's is. It's a big
1: it's a big event, and uh, this team has been through enough big events, you know, like the Stanley Cup freaking final to be able to handle that, but they're also You know, when they were in the Stanley Cup Final, they entered the Cup Final twelve and two, not four four and one. So it's a little bit different this time around. I know they probably don't want to be going. Like if you ask those players, they're like, "Eh, "I'm not really into this right now. Wish we can just go back to Ball Arena and play four games in eight nights or something." But um, you got to get this out of the way, and you got to prove that you're not just going to bend bend over and and you know take two losses before bend over backwards and take two losses before coming back. Way to backpedal there. (laughs) Um... Make sure I don't. (laughs) Let that sentence be what it was at first.
0: Uh, Guys, let's go over to our friends at Total Beverage. Everybody Thank knows you. Total Beverage in <laughs> Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at totalbev.com. Total beverage, everything you need and more. So let's get into it. Let's get ready for Finland as there are no more games from today until Finland. Five days we have to uh, just twiddle our thumbs. So it's a great chance to reset. I think that's what. The real positive out of this is right a chance to step back for five days, take a deep breath, go on a nice little trip, and say, This isn't it, we haven't done what we needed to do. Fortunately for the avalanche, Columbus has stumbled. Just I was as just much, gonna say that got beat seven to one today, uh, by the same New Jersey Devils that blanked the avalanche. Um, so they're also having a, a time to reset, and they even had, I think it was a behind closed doors players only meaning something along those lines so both teams kind of coming into this with some must win attitudes yes
1: yeah, so um looking at the lineup here and not the lineup sorry the standings and the colorado avalanche are one of it looks like 13 teams with a plus goal differential Then there are one, two, three, four teams at a zero even goal differential. Of the teams that are in the minuses, only three of them, sorry, four of them have more than a minus 10 goal differential. Sitting in dead last, actually no, sitting in 31st, the Columbus Blue Jackets have a minus 18 goal differential because while they've scored 26 gold, they've surrendered a league worst 44. That's what you're going up against. A team that has three victories in 10 games, they're three and seven, no overtime loss points. They've scored 26 goals in 10 games, which is not a lot, 2.6 per game. And they've surrendered 4.4 per game. Like this, this has got to be a gimme. If the Blue Jackets are getting the Avalanche when they're vulnerable, the Avalanche are getting Columbus when they're far more vulnerable and looking at the Avalanche intimidated because that's the team that just won the cup.
0: Yeah, it's a big difference between the vulnerability of the two teams, right? You got a team that's just stumbling a little bit, threatening in and out of a playoff spot versus a team that is threatening to be the worst team in the NHL. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they're having a hard time even getting the puck out of their zone, getting the puck uh, to their forwards in a breakout. I, I just don't see Columbus being anything of a threat to Colorado. That I, I personally am going to say it. If the Avalanche don't take both games, it's going to be a failure.
1: That's 100% true. Yes, that's absolutely true. Is it time for a panic? No, but even if you go one and one, you're going to come out of that and be like, they, they fucked it up. Like they messed this up. They should have won both those games and they probably will, but, but we'll see because they probably should have won the last two games too. They probably should have beaten Seattle. There's a lot of probabilities in there for a team that for some reason beat Vegas and the Rangers, but it's losing to these other guys.
0: I also want to bring up the point of playing in the spotlight and the comfort that the avalanche have with that, right? You go back to the Lake Tahoe game, you go back to even the outdoor game in Colorado Springs. And then of course the Stanley cup final where Columbus doesn't necessarily have any of those special games, any of those prime time or under the spotlight contests. So um, the avalanche should be more comfortable, more experienced in that facet. And again, Shouldn't have a problem taking both games.
1: Either. Yeah, they, they shit the bed in that Colorado Springs game, <laughs> you know, may, what feels like many moons ago now. But uh, no, you're excuse me. You're absolutely right. And that's kind Let's of it. goes. Uh, thank you. That kind of goes back getting the hiccups here. Uh, that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Spotlight. That's the word that I was looking for when I was talking about that game on ESPN. It was a it was a game with a lot of spotlight on it similar to the Stanley cup final. It's what the avalanche seem to be missing in these other games. They're uninterested in playing games that are not in the spotlight. I wish I can edit that into the first five minutes of my rant earlier <laughs> in the episode. But if you listen for 53 or 54 minutes, you'll get to this point. Um, these games are under a lot of spot. There's, there is spotlight for these games. People are going to be interested in them, especially locally, especially with Arturi, Lekkinen and Miko Ranton in both in the lineup. It looks like Patrick Liney for the Columbus blue jackets. Um, so I would hope the Avalanche wake up for these, and I, I, I expect them to. And if they don't win both of them, like you said, like it is a failure. Unless they get completely goalied, then it's okay. Yep,
0: I don't anticipate that happening though, considering what we've seen from Columbus yeah. so far. And like I said earlier, enough of the silly goose games—I'm going to call them right—the games where you should have had them and you didn't. The Seattle loss, the New York Islanders loss—you've had enough of those. Yeah.
1: So I agree.
0: Focus on the task at hand win these two games, come back home, and then you can really focus and settle in and get going on a hefty schedule that comes up here uh, through the rest of the winter.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It seems like it's been a whole new season since opening night because given the way the rest of the eight games have gone, opening night probably should have been a loss, too, given how they have played. But they were so good opening night. And just since then, it's kind of dwindled off a little bit.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, that's everything I have for us to discuss today. Uh, Of course we have a couple more podcasts we're obligated to get to you guys this week. So we'll get them to you one way or another. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I have for today. Any thoughts from you before we get out of here from the Sunday version of our podcast?
1: No, like you said earlier, this is a much needed reset for this team. They're going to have some days off. Uh, this is also an opportunity for what really grinds my gears with Arif Dean of all the many things that are ailing this team right now. Um, but uh, I think these days off will do good for them. I think more than these days off will do good. The days coming back from Finland will do even better good for them because hopefully they come away with three or four points. Let's say four. Then you get a few days off. You come home. You got three straight at ball arena, just like last year. Take it and go. But you need some guys to step up and it starts with Finland on Friday.
0: Yep. And then, like you said, just can't wait to get that behind us and Focus on the rest of the season and, and just focus on wins. No more uh nonsense for a while. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, though. Should be fun. A nice change of pace Friday at noon, Saturday at noon. Why not? Let's 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 do it. Let's have a day yeah. and uh have a midday matinee <laughs> game on a Friday. I'm
1: for it. Yeah, I'm for it, too. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um The one big bummer with this entire episode is knowing still till now that Gabe Landeskog is almost three months away. And that's a big bummer. But this team's done it before. When he was injured last year against the Carolina Hurricanes and opted for, well, after the Hurricanes game where he opted for surgery, they went 14, 1 and 1 in their next 60. They can do it without him for a little bit of time. They got to do it now. Just
0: about execution, right? Bingo. E- effort and execution. Right on, guys. Well, that'll do it. I uh, hope we start your week off on a good good foot. I don't know. It's time to wrap up. Sunday night, <laughs> late night. Let's get Let's to call the week. it. let's Let's get the the week going remember positivity guys positivity cooler heads prevail from Uh, now until friday thanks for hanging out with us uh yeah if you made it this far on the podcast bless your pretty little heart let's take make hockey for everyone and we got you